changing. This is Night Fever, celebrating New York nightlife legends of the 70s, 80s, 90s, and beyond. I am joined by my co-host, the co-founders of World of Wonder, Fenton Bailey and Randy Barbado. Hello. Nice to see you. I am so thrilled today. We have an icon who is beyond iconic. She is an artist, a performer, an author, a playwright. She is a punk rock pioneer. She is a trans punk rock pioneer. She is a Warhol superstar. She was there at Stonewall the night they threw the first brick. We're going to have to talk about that. She was an early influence on David Bowie, Kiss, the New York Dolls. She knew Lou Reed, Iggy Pop. Um, She is the author of a book of memoirs that was just re-released called Man Enough to Be a Woman, available on Amazon. Welcome to the show, the one and only Jane County. Gosh, it's good to see you. Hi, all. Hi. I'm so, yeah. I'm so proud to be here, as Miss Minnie Pearl used to say. <laughs> I am very proud to be here. Yeah, this is it. Uh, giving, giving the kids a bit of history. Yes, yes, it's all for the children. And I know you've told these stories a hundred million times, but, but we're just going to go through it one more yeah. time. Um, the okay. last time I saw you, Jane, was here in Los Angeles, and you were recording with Sharon Needles. Remember that? That's right. Yeah, with Sharon. Yeah. yeah. That was an experience. That was fabulous. And what was the song that you did with her? Do you remember? Hail Satan. <laughs> that old song. It would be right. <laughs> you were speaking in tongues, weren't you? Didn't you? Something, something very subtle. <laughs> it's very subtle. That's funny. Um, hey, listen, I want to start. We're going to do some. We're going to go back and forth and everything in time. But I want to start with a story for Fenton Bailey, because this is a gift to you, Fenton. I want to talk about the party in the late 60s, early 70s that Burgess Meredith threw. <laughs> Burgess Meredith, of course, was the penguin on Batman and in the mm-hmm. Rocky movies. And he had a party in which they wanted the freaks to come. Right. Yeah. And so who was there at the, who was there at this party? Well, well, uh, it's fun because I was with Tony Ingrassia who directed for it and uh, a lot of uh, underground theater. And uh, he, we heard about this party that Burgess Meredith was doing. I forgot how we got the invite. I mean, we, I, they knew we were coming. Basically they wanted a bunch of freaks to come and entertain them. Basically is what we went. So we were the freaks and we accepted that. We would go and go up there and just have a good time, you know, eat all the food, entertain <laughs> them, be funny, you know, <laughs> we do what we did best. And it was me and uh, Jackie Curtis and Rita Red and Patty Smith and uh, Robert Maplethorpe. Robert Maplethorpe, yeah. And Penny Lo- Lo- Arcade was there, a good friend of ours. Penny, and, 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 yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Penny, yeah. of course. Penny Arcade. And we all trounced up there. And um, it's, uh, I don't know who decided we should take acid. <laughs> but we did. And each each person was kind of on their own little trip. <laughs> going up to this party with Burgess Meredith. And I kept thinking, oh, my God. this!" I kept thinking back in my head, this is going to be a disaster. This is going to be worse. <laughs> worse than the Manson girls. This is going to be awful. <laughs> awful. Things are going to happen. I know it. I know it. Well, we got up there, and 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 the, there were a lot of people, Burgess News friends and all, and they were they were very nice to us. And um, 
but they did expect us to kind of entertain. It was as if like, okay, they're here, everyone. Oh, they're here, okay. Waiting for us to entertain them, you know. So, uh, so uh, Ruby Lynn Rayner, I forgot she was with us as well. Ruby Lynn Rayner, uh, she uh, was quite happy with this, quite happy to entertain them. And she was entertaining them and doing all sorts of and doing, doing uh, things from her theater, uh, from the theater, theater pieces she was in. And um, they were very highly entertained by Ruby Lynn. She was, she was extremely funny. And, um, but Jackie, Jackie was on kind of a more, got into herself kind of trip. Remember, she was on acid. And she kind of got to the point where she was a little bit insulted that they were expecting us to just to entertain them. You know, she was a little bit going the other way and ended up with me and, and, and Patty and Jackie in a, in a weird closet. Space. <laughs> I don't know what it was. If it was a broom closet or what. We were in this hiding, you know, and we could hear Ruby Lynn. Out of, we were in the closet. We could hear Ruby Lynn out there with that voice entertaining them, you know, just, just being insane, you know, being, you know, being I Love Lucy, you know. So Jackie is all paranoid, right? And then paranoid. Patty is ODing somewhere, right? Patty's ODing in the bathroom or something. Going on about Brian Jones, like she always does. <laughs> and then you got, you and Robert Maplethorpe and Penny are locked in a closet somewhere. We're locked in a broom closet, right? I'm nasty. <laughs> And I imagine things just got so crazier from there. And we could hear Ruby Lynn is like this this voice in like a way, like a twilight zone. We could hear her voice, you know, it was like echoey and everything. And you could hear people laughing and clapping and everything. <laughs> and Jackie was Jackie was so insulted. She, was, she, was, she wouldn't go out there and, and entertain them. You know, so everybody out on their own trip. I forgot how it ended. I think it ended up like all parties. Around the food, you know, <laughs> particularly if you were with Jackie. Uh, Jackie was the big one on, on where's the food. First words out of her lips anywhere was where's the food. <laughs> um, so I want to go back a little bit because you grew up in Atlanta. And mm -hmm. this is something I've never heard of before. I thought I'd heard all gay lingo. But you talk about how before you were able to get into the clubs when you were too young, that you would hang out with the other queens on the street corner and you would go wrecking. Oh, we would go wrecking. Tell me about what wrecking is. Well, wrecking, I, I just thought, I thought everybody knew about wrecking. Wrecking was like when you wreck the straight people, you, you wreck their nerves, you wreck them. <laughs> you go wrecking, you go walk down the streets, but you swish and you hold your teasing comb in your hand and you do like, and you, you, you have poses like, you're just wrecking the straight people's nerves. We used to ride, go to Rich's department store and ride up and down on the escalators, holding women's clothes and dusting them out and screaming, my husband's going to love me in these and stuff, and, and, and stuff like that. Just wrecking, just causing, causing so much trouble. And one of our favorite things was to go, a group of us, to go into the Graham bus station in the men's room at the Graham bus station where all the men would be standing with a little, with their, cocks out and everything and we would just get in the middle of the room and start screaming nothing in particular just ah, 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 screaming 
because we were we were screaming what they used to call screaming queens. <laughs> we were very obvious. We didn't care. We were just screaming all the time. We were the people who got asked to leave the people's parties. <laughs> we, they would ask us to leave. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we were also the people who used to be able to get away from the police really good because we used to. You'd be on the street corner screaming and wrecking and the policeman and you'd have to run from the police all the time and go hide. Yeah, they had they had searchlights and they would they would they would drive by these street famous street corners which were famous because all sorts of freaks used to hang out on these street corners. And uh, the police would drive by in their car with this big searchlight and it, it, you and and you see the searchlight on the trees, but sometimes we'd be behind the tree. And so as the police car moved and the light moved around the tree, we would move also around the around the tree, so the light wouldn't catch us. <laughs> you had to know how to do that. Another trick was to bring up some queens used to bring two pair of shoes, one for prancing around in and one for running. <laughs> you had to bring your running shoes with you in case because you never knew when you had to run. Would you dump the shoes you had or carry them? Like if you if you had to change shoes quickly, do you just just carry them? You know, carry okay, them. okay. I guess you can carry them. Carry them. Use as a weapon too, if necessary. Uh, yeah, yeah. You use as a weapon. Use the heels mm. as a weapon. We always had a, a carry bag or something to carry our, our things in. And a lot of the queens, you know, they were poor and they they were young kids. And they would bring their drag around with them in a bag, or a shopping bag, or a bag. I got into the, that's how I got kind of got into having shopping bags on stage. The queens would well, have their drag on stage, and they would go to someone's house or hide around a tree or something and change into their drag. You know, because they couldn't leave their house in drag. Their parents would disown them. You know, and so so that that's what would happen. Um, and we very often, you had to know how to deal with the police. You had to know when to run, how to, if, if they caught you, you had to know how to talk to them, how to deal with them and everything. And if someone did something too horrible, beat you up or raped you or whatever, uh, they would arrest you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You would be arrested. When you were running around wrecking with your friends, were you... Um living at home then or you had already left home yeah i was living at home and i would um sneak out of the house luckily i had a room that had a back entrance boy that was boy that was whoever thought that up boy <laughs> did that come in handy i could go, it, go late at night come in and out you know my mother and daddy never even knew and i'd meet my friends on the corner and they'd pick me up in the car and uh I would uh, do my makeup in the in my bedroom, you know, do, do my uh, cover girl, whole orange face cover girl look, you know, <laughs> with the, the pale lips and the whole bit, little clip after eye makeup stuff like that. And um, then we we what get back what I what we'll get back to is wrecking. We would we would just go out wrecking because if you didn't have anything to do, you could wreck. You know, wrecking saved us from a, a mundane life we had to as i said we know, had to had to know how to run and things like that but wrecking saved us you know i mean it gave us something to do and we were thrilled to death and we would laugh like evilly and cackle like witches <laughs> when we would wreck someone's nerves or the look on that woman did you see the look on that woman's face <laughs> you know and we would just cackle we just loved it another some of the things weren't that very nice that we did i remember once um 
we were in a convertible and it was a pack full of the convertible and the radio was on we were doing all the hand gestures and the whole the whole bit i forgot what it was sock it to me baby baby something like that uh, what's his name uh what's that guy's name who did that um devil with the blue dress blue dress blue dress devil with the blue dress on. oh gosh i can't even think much rider and the detroit wheels oh god they were so popular but anyway we we did something really awful and i felt guilty about we were, the car was packed full of queens and they it was a convertible and there was this old lady with her shopping and she was going across the street and without even telling each other all of a sudden we waited till she got right in the middle of the car and we just went <laughs> and she groceries would go everywhere and she would just be she didn't know what was going on why were these people screaming why was this car screaming at her you know? <laughs> you know? but we, yeah that, that was a little embarrassing but but I remember uh, me and Miss Cox. There was this queen named Miss Cox, and she was famous for wearing madras trousers, and that used to get a lot of attention back then. And uh, I remember we waited on. We were waiting to cross the red line. We we were waiting for it to turn green to cross, and there was a bus full of people. It had pulled up and stopped right there, and we had to walk in front of the bus across. The street. So I said, "Look, we got an audience here." So me and Miss Cox, Miss Cox got the her hips going. I got my comb out we were like this, and we we sashayed across the street real slow. <laughs> and the bus driver stood up and went, "Look, <laughs> <laughs> look!" And everyone looked at us. We had our audience. Yeah, <laughs> we had to have an audience. Had to. So in 1967, I think it is, that's yeah. the first time you take a bus to New York City. And um, it's sort of, I guess, guess, in the middle of the West Village. And there's a lot of hippies and drugs and LSD oh, and yeah. everything. I went right to Sheridan Square. Uh, in Sheridan Square. And you, you're homeless, but everybody sort of takes care of everybody and sort of talk a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, I was homeless. I didn't have a place to, to, to live or anything. But you just went. Back then, there were things called crash pads. And if you didn't have a place to stay, you could stay at a crash pad. It'd be like, oh, I know where there's a good, a cool crash pad, you know, and, and be, be go where? At so-and-so East, 11th Street, you know, blah, 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 Avenue A, B, or whatever. And we'd go there to crash. And sure enough, you'd go in, you knock on the door, and they'd let you in. And people, you'd just lay on the floor. Whatever quilts were there, you'd take them. Uh, if they were pillows, if not, whatever. And you crashed for the night. They were crash pads. And so uh, no one really had to stay out on the streets or anything like that when they had crash pads. I'm so bourgeois, but like, who owned the crash pads? Were they like, were they, was it like, who was the landlord? Were they free? Like, what? Usually, usually these crash pads were ran usually by some some girl who who loved to be around hippies and, and gay people and stuff like that. Uh, she would open up, change her, you know, she would make her apartment into a crash pad. I guess she wanted to know, wanted a, a, a breed of new friends or something. <laughs> uh, but yeah, she would run it. Usually some, some girl would be running it or something like that. But other times, they, I mean, they were, weren't really legally crash pads. They weren't, I don't think they were legally with the landlord or anything. It was just somebody who was letting people stay at their apartment letting it be a crash pad basically but I, I i mean i was saved by crash pads i stayed in a lot of crash pads when i first came to new york city even when i 
I uh, got the Greyhound bus and the bus stopped in Philadelphia and I got off the bus and, and got back on the wrong bus. <laughs> and my clothes were going that way and I was going that way. So I arrived in New York City with no, no clothes, no coat, no nothing. And uh, Crash Pad saved me, gave me a place to stay and get my nerves together. So there's a you're at a club called the Sewer, which I've never heard of. Sewer, oh the Sewer, <laughs> yeah, Miss Hollywood Long. And that's where you met Lee Black Childers, the the famous rock photographer, drag photographer, very famous. Yeah. And you you became we became best friends, and you moved in together. But start, tell me a little bit about the Sewer and what that was like. Well, it was it was a a really sleazy bar that had, uh, uh, it was just a, kind of an outcast bar where all kinds of, of, of people went, freaks went, but it's mostly gay, but everyone was welcome. You know, if you were out late at night, uh, Charles Ludlam brought the whole theater of the ridiculous in there one time to party after his, one of their shows, brought him, brought him to the store. And that's the first time I saw Hollywood Lawn. Holly was, um, she was doing hormones at that time and she had these, these big hairdos that went way up like that and everything. That's the first time I saw Holly was at the sewer. And yeah, I met Lee there, but I'd met, I had ran into Lee before on Christopher Street mm. because when I came, went there in the 60s, Christopher Street was the place to hang out. I mean, if you wanted to, to, to whether you wanted to stay with someone or wanted to turn a trick or whether you just didn't have anything to do, you just go to Christopher Street and sit on one of the steps and wait for something to happen, you know, and you would hear about these bars like the sewer, you know, by, by hanging out on Christopher Street, you would hear about all the places to go to and everything. So you move in with Lee Black Childers, right? Oh, yeah. on, is it on 13th Street or was this upper? What, where was this? 13th and Avenue A. 13th and Avenue A. And Jackie Curtis comes to live with you. Oh, yes. Jackie Curtis had a big following. <laughs> Jackie Curtis, yeah. She, uh, she um, had a big following out with John Vaccaro. And... Um, she um, needed a place to stay. And so Lee was, Lee was the kind of person that, like, if he needed a place to stay, it wouldn't matter if there were 30 people staying there already. He would just open his arms and say, yes, of course, come and stay, you know. I mean, at one time, there must have been, like, seven people sleeping in Lee's bed. It was unbelievable. And uh, so, um, yeah, that, I mean, that, that's what would happen. I, I met Lee there, and he would just let... People just move in. He let Jackie move in. Jackie Curtis moved in. And then Hollywood Long moved in. And, and Rita Red had been there with Jackie. I always always heard that Rita Red was a speed dealer at the factory. But what was what, what did Rita do? Rita was basically Jackie's little Toto. <laughs> she, he, she followed Jackie around and helped her dress and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And carried, carried her bags for her and everything. But Jackie um, had really bad B.O. because she never, she never bathed. She had pretty bad B.O. And she was just a terror at this, at the apartment. She really terrorized everyone. Well, the, see, it was a cold water flat and we had a, a bathtub in the middle of the kitchen. So it was, people say it was kind of hard to get, have privacy to take a bath. You know, you had to, to keep everybody out of the kitchen, and, and plus the water was cold. You had to heat it up on an old, old, decrepit oven, heat some warm water up to take a bath. And so Jackie, yeah, she had, her dresses had these huge B.O. <laughs> B.O. marks on, under the arms. They were like, they were huge, too. And uh, you could, you've heard the expression, you could see her coming a mile away well. <laughs> 
<laughs> but Jackie, you, you could, you knew when she was coming. And um, so I don't know how Lee slept in the bed with all those people, but it was his bed, and people would just go in there, crawl in the bed with him, and he'd just, you know, he wouldn't say anything. He'd just sleep. There was no sex going on or anything like that. There was just people going in there just to sleep, just to crash, you know. And then there were people on the floor, and then when Wigstock, a Wigstock, when Woodstock happened, Lordy mercy, all these hippies from Atlanta came up, found out where I lived, and came up and invaded us. And we were full of these hippies on their way to Woodstock, plus Jackie and Holly. But that is where Holly met little Johnny, who was in trash with her. He, right, he, yes. He's the little boy she picks up and gives the blowjob to. Cute guy, just adorable. But she was in love with him, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, he came up with all the hippies to me and Lee's uh, apartment. Um, it was, uh, they were friends of mine from Atlanta and they were on their way to uh, Woodstock and they knew where, somebody had told them where I lived. Well, one of the girls knew where I lived and so she directed them to my place. And so there was a knock on the door and they must have been like 30 hippies standing out there in the hallway. It's unbelievable. And well, so Lee, of course, just said, come in, come in. And it was just that you had to step over people. People were laying on the floors. You had to step over them. You know, to get to to get to the bathroom or anything, and the bathroom was one of those little over over painted little stalls. It had a toilet in it, and that was what the bathroom was. Oh, it just it was, there was no bathroom; it was just a toilet bowl. You know, that's that's what we had to use. To get back to Jackie terrorizing everyone, because she was like on a lot of speed at the time, and she would get all paranoid and say that you guys were eating her food. Jackie was a huge speed freak. Yeah, she put. Uh, she would. She would say. Uh, she would put speed in her coffee in the morning. She'd go, "Oh, just a little bit of speed in my coffee. Now, I'm not going to do speed today. I'm just going to put a little bit in my coffee, you know, to wake me up so that I can get through the day, you know." So she did. She was speed. She was speed all the time. And those 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 plays she wrote that went on for days and days. Those long plays she wrote. Uh, they were speed freak lantings, just what they were. Uh, <laughs> Uh, she would she would run out of things to, to she would run out of uh, things to put in her play and she would do things like and I, I copied her as well she'd do things like uh, pick up a book and just go through it and put her finger down and there'd be a line there and she'd use it in the play <laughs> you know just, you know stuff like that and she was speeding like crazy and so the the plays were just they made no sense but for somewhat some some reason they did make sense. You know what I mean? They really made no sense, but they kind of, in the long run, did make sense. <laughs> but they were just, just, just speed, speed uh, stuff coming out of Jackie's head. Uh, one of her first play was, I think, was it Femme Fatale or whatever that you were in as well? Yeah, it was Femme Fatale. I was in that. Yeah. Was that the one that you fucked yourself with a double dildo, or you farted, or what was that? No, that was later when I was in my, had my band Queen Elizabeth. Oh, okay. Um, and this one, I, I ate flies. I, 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 was, I killed flies and ate them. <laughs> and uh, Patty Smith was in the play as well. She played a mafia member with a big Greek kind of phallic, you know. Uh, she'd pick the phallic up and go, I'm going to fuck you. I'm going to fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my first lines on the New York stage was, um, I had a rubber band around my leg and I had plastic shit uh, in the rubber band. And I reached up under me and brought out the plastic shit. 
and says, Lottie, Miss Claudia, you scared the shit out of me. That was my opening lines on the New York stage. My great lines, you scared the shit out of me. Opening lines on the New York stage. <laughs> Is that the one that there was the character named John Wayne and he put, he gave birth to the baby when he would do the poppers? John Wayne did poppers and gave birth out his asshole to a baby. <laughs> and uh, the baby was born dead. And uh, <laughs> and the the cast members took the baby, and 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 the nurse hit it like that, and it wouldn't cry. She hit it again, hit it, and before you know, she's beating on the baby. She's beating on it, and then she throws it up in the air, and everybody in the cast beats the baby and kicks it around the stage, and then she wobbles over to the baby, and she picks it up and goes, "It's dead." <laughs> but but the guy he had it in his ass and then he would do poppers and it would it would, it would come out of his ass the the rubber baby doll. Yes, yes. Uh, that 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 shows you the um, mentality of the, these plays we did. They were outrageous, but they worked. They um, they uh, these plays we did. You had your lines. You had to memorize your lines. You had to know when to put in, when to come in, when not to come in, and. Uh, they were, they were professional. They were outrageous and, and over the top, but they were done professionally. And that's why they were so different than a lot of the stuff going on. They were professional. Um, let's, let's talk about Pork a little bit, because that was Andy's play that um, Andy Warhol and Paul Morrissey. Was it? But it was based on Andy's recordings, right? It's based, Pork was based on Andy Warhol's recordings. Uh, he used to call people up, his superstars up at night and talk to them and get them to say, of course, outrageous things. And uh, he taped all their conversations. So he just handed Tony and Gracia all these tapes. And Tony took them and deciphered them, and uh, he put them together and made a script out of them. And that, that was what Port was. It was Andy's um, uh, Midnight Ranching superstar. And wasn't Bridget Berlin furious? Wasn't she furious about it? Because the whole bunch of... She was furious. Yeah, like he'd taped a whole bunch of conversations with her talking about her mother. She was furious, you know. He'd taken all her private conversations, some of them, and used them, you know. And Viva was uh, was really mad at me because I was playing a character based on Viva, and 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 and, and she did not like it at all that, that a transvestite was playing her in this play. Um, in fact, that the original super. Warhol superstars hated us because we were making fun of them. You know, basically what it was. And Andy and uh, Paul Marshall would sit in front going, <laughs> like that, you knew, knew, knowing that it was going to upset them. I think they, they, they didn't care. They enjoyed enjoyed it. Now, how involved was Andy? And did he, did he, he and Paul come every night? Were they there? No, they weren't there every night, but they were there a lot. And they came to London for the London production as well. Uh, they came to that, and we had a big party in London. And Rod Stewart was there, and all these other stars were there. I forget who else. Uh, I remember Rod Stewart was there because I was wearing a scarf, and he tried, he wanted the scarf I was wearing. It was an antique scarf, and he wanted it, and I wouldn't give it. He kept going for my scarf, and I wouldn't give it to him. And he was shocked that I would not give him my scarf. <laughs> you know, and I, and I said to him, I said, you're not getting my scarf. You're not getting it. You know how close you come up to me, how much you do like this to me. You're not getting the scarf. <laughs> um, some of the people who were in Pork, um, Harvey Firestein, it was his first role, right? Oh, yeah. Um, Cherry Vanilla was in it. 
Cherry Vanilla. Jackie Curtis, of course, was in it. Was Holly in it? Uh, no, no, Holly wasn't in it. But but Jackie was. No, 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 Jackie, no, no, Jackie wasn't in it. Oh. Harvey Feinstein played Jackie. Oh, uh, Harvey okay. Feinstein played a Jackie Curtis character, and Harvey's he would jump out on stage and go, "Where's the food?" That was his <laughs> opening line with playing the Jackie Curtis character. Well, for some reason, uh, uh, the Jackie Curtis character didn't make it to London. I don't know why. Tony took him out, um, but it played La Mama and then went on to London, and where we scandalized all of London. I mean, <laughs> London was like scandalizing. Uh, they were. We had posters all over the town, and people had. Some people had written, "Send these freaks back to America." Stuff like that, you know. Well, no, I just remember I was at school in the UK, and I remember like there was a, a an article in the Daily Mail, of, and Andy Warhol, I think, was staying at the Ritz, and people were just outraged and disgusted. And unless I'm mistaken, I thought maybe David Bowie. That's when he first came into contact with Warhol. Was he went to see Pork? Is that right? Uh, David and Angie came to see Pork, and uh, yeah, they did. They came more than one time. They came quite a few times to see Pork and would come and hang out backstage and everything, and then we got to know them pretty well. We used to go to the Sombrero Disco with them to hang out and, and to dance and carry on, you know, and uh, yeah. This this was around um, Hunky Dory, and uh, he would come backstage and he would, he, you said he was very polite and very shy, but that he was clocking everyone's makeup and he was sort of taking notes as to what he was going to do, right? I, mental notes, but I think, I, I swear I saw him with a notepad. Yeah. I swear I did. <laughs> but I can't prove it. <laughs> I swear I saw him sitting there with a notepad making notes, you know. But he did. I, I noticed that he did. He was uh, had long hair like a hippie. Uh, he looked like Lauren Bacall, actually, like Lauren Bacall, and wore these big floppy hats and these big wide pants and everything. And then the cast of Port came to town with shaved, our shaved eyebrows and our colored hair and our painted fingernails and everything. And he did a whole image change, you know. Angie uh, pushed him into changing his image. She was a big uh, supporter of Port. Uh, we had demonstrations there in the lobby. Uh, this play glorifies homosexuality. Don't go in, don't watch it, don't see this play. It glorifies uh, sodomizing and all this kind of stuff. And Andrew's going, yeah, of course it does, yeah, ha, <laughs> and like that. <laughs> what, some of the reviews for Pork says that it was a, a cesspool of sexual aberration, so drearily yeah. <laughs> unpornographic that the total effect was like a dose of bromide. It's a theatrical <laughs> en enema. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was one of our good reviews. That was the good one, yeah. Now, we actually did have some good ones, actually, we did, but that was like the worst ones. The bad ones were the funny ones. I love that. There's a funny story about Andy on the closing night of Pork and how he was in the bathroom, the, the men's room, the entire night. No one could find him. He was in the men's room interviewing people. As guys would go up and they he would wait until they... We're using a urinal, and he'd go up, stick the microphone in their faces, and, and try to in interview them. What did you think of the play tonight? You know, <laughs> all the stuff like that. And, they, and they're trying to pee, and, he, and he's going like this, and he's going like that. You know, looking down. <laughs> <laughs> he spent the whole night looking at people at the, at the, at the urinal, <laughs> interviewing them. <laughs> right, and no one could find him, and then finally, 
it, it, it became known where he was, hanging out in the, at the urinals in the men's room. <laughs> so, what, a party, what a party goer. Now, around this time, um, you're going to Max's Kansas City oh, yeah. on Union Square, of course. Um, and this is around the time that Jim Morrison, Lou Reed, Sylvia Miles, Janice Joplin, Grace Lick, Jimi Hendrix, everybody is hanging out there. Sort of lay out how Max's Kansas City was, was uh, sort of what it looked like. Well, you, you had that big window, of course, when you would arrive. It would be on the right-hand side, and you go in the door. And uh, if you went straight upstairs, that's where the upstairs where the bands were. But if you, when you went inside, you made a right. There was a big room there, and it was really long, and it was a, a long, uh, a long um, bar. And then there was a room where people would dine on one side of it. And then if you kept going left, all the way down, and keep walking, you'd you'd run into the uh, the back room. And the back room is where all the stars were. Uh, if you wanted, if you were anyone, you were in the back room. It, it, it was like the round table at the Algonquin. You know, this is the, the back room and Max is in. They had, we had a round table there, too. And you could sit, you sat at the round table. You were like, you were it. You were up there, kind of, you know. And so people like to always try to sit at the round table, no matter who was sitting there. Even if people were sitting at the round table, people would encroach on the round table and sit and sort of sit sit there even if they're not invited people would encroach i sat at the table one night with janice joplin was there and people kept ordering food and drinks and everything and then when the check came i was from the table was practically empty and janice just reached over and signed a piece of paper and that was it and, and a lot of times like people like jim morris and stuff they would sign the check knowing that they were so famous that nobody would ever cast the check yeah 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 they knew that well, Mayman did that with me. I mean, Mickey had to chase Mayman and threaten them to pay my bill. I had a Max's charge account, and I was charging dinner and drinks and 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 partying. All you know, and, and Max is in the back room, and uh, and uh, they uh, they they never paid their bill. Mayman never paid the bill at Max's. It never ever got paid. But you could get free chickpeas. You could always get the free chickpeas, and that's why everyone who was hungry would go. Yeah, well, during the afternoon when they would have beer beer time in the afternoon, uh, um, they would have a they would have chicken wings or chili or something to eat. And uh, me and Jackie or, or, and Holly and all of us, me and Lee, we would all go uh, up to Max's during the day to eat. So we knew we could eat during the day by going to Max's and eating from the buffet. And uh, Jackie would put chicken, of course, in her bag, <laughs> carry it home with us and everything. She'd stick food in her bag. She didn't like it when we had chili because um, it was hard to take chili home. You know? <laughs> Noticing, you know, but she could stick the chicken in one of her bags, you know, her mini bags she, she walked around with. Um, eventually, you become the DJ at, at Max's Kansas City. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, became, I was the DJ there for a while uh, during the first run of Max's and the second run of Max's. The first run under Mickey Ruskin, the second run under Tommy Dean. Yeah, I DJ there. And it was a, kind of a rock and roll DJ. It was rock, a rock disco kind of atmosphere. I played Bowie and Matt Martha Hoople and, and oldies, oldies as well that fit in. And it was, it was mostly rock stuff. One of the waitresses was... Miss Harry. Debbie Harry was the waitress at Max's Kansas City, yeah. Mm -hmm. And she had a reputation, but she said she doesn't remember 
of dropping cheeseburgers on people's heads, but she had that reputation of dropping food on people. <laughs> but she must have just been stunning. She must have just been a beauty back then. Oh, yeah, stunning, absolutely stunning. A real eye stopper. People would just like, you know, follow her wherever she was going. She was so outlandishly beautiful, you know, like a Marilyn Monroe type. I guess we haven't really talked about Candy yet. Well, I first met Candy through uh, Jackie. Candy was kind of hard to get to know because she was more serious about herself. Uh, you know, as, as, as a woman, she really perceived herself as a woman. And um, she was a little more hard to get to know as well. And she was very suspicious of people. She's very suspicious of me when I first came on the scene, you know, particularly when I first, when I first came out. As Wayne, I was doing drag, and so um, she was very suspicious of me because she didn't didn't want another drag queen on the scene trying to encroach on any of her territory because she already had to deal with Jackie doing that, and uh, and Holly, she would, did not smile on Holly at all, Miss Candy. Uh, she felt very threatened by Holly because Holly was extremely hysterically funny without even trying to be, and uh, Holly was very, very popular with people because she, Holly was nice to people and she'd talk to you and she wasn't a snob. She was down to earth. Holly was just like real, so real. And I think it kind of um, it put Candy off because Candy was really sort of, and I'm, I'm, I'm a real movie star uh, mode, kind of, I'm a real movie star fantasy mode, you know. She used to go to auditions um, for Broadway plays and she'd audition for the woman's part. She'd never get it. So she's a little bitter about that. I always thought. Because probably all the drug and everything, and everyone's sort of hyping her up and telling her how beautiful she was. She really oh, thought yeah. she was Lana Turner, and she really did. Yeah, she did, yeah. You're very beautiful, Candy. You can get this part. Go for it. Go get it, Candy. Go. Go get it. You, you, you're bound to get it. You're bound to have it. They did that to me. What's that play? Jesus Christ, Superstar. Yeah. They wanted me to try for heroin. They wanted Wayne to be Harris. I went. I, I learned the uh, the song and went up there and sang and embarrassed myself so bad. It just, I just embarrassed myself. I, I, I went away hating everyone and making me go. What was the song that you sang in your audition? I can't remember it. But but you did it very rock and roll. Very yeah 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 very rock and roll. I did it with kind of a Rod Stewart voice. Jesus, this type of stuff. <laughs> and uh, it did not go down at all because I wasn't. Oh, Jesus, who is this person? Is the truth? You know that I I wasn't. I I just did it so rock and rolly, and they just all kind of went like that next <laughs> oh. just talk a little bit about what andy was like i guess at this point and and how how you got to know him and what he how he treated you and how your friendship was well i got to know him um through lee basically i mean lee was a great photographer and he was always taking pictures and going up to the factory and showing andy the photographs and things like that and he took a lot of pictures of jackie and Candy and Holly and people like that. So he had a, a, a tie-in with the factory, Lee did. And I would often go with Lee. And I met met uh, Andy through Lee and uh, would see him occasionally at a party or something like that, you know. We weren't, like, really close pals or anything like that. But uh, I got to know him, know him just from hanging out. 
I mean, you, basically, you got to know everyone just from hanging out. If you went to matches, you just got to know people from just hanging out, you know, or somebody through somebody else, you know. Uh, that's the way I met everyone, just by hanging out. You know, I don't even re remember a lot of times. I don't remember how I, exactly I met the person, but it was from just hanging out, being being on the scene, waiting for an opportunity to rise up. There's there's you know, a funny story about Andy dragging you over to meet Bianca. What, oh God! <laughs> what was yeah. that? Bianca was there, and she was with Andy. And I don't know if Andy did this on purpose to freak Bianca out, but years later, I'm thinking he did. Now I was dressed really over the top. I had on three wigs. They were huge. I had on plastic tits. I had on these fringe outfits. I looked uh, like a you know like a total alien. You know, and it must have been, thinking back, it must have been kind of crazy, crazy looking to people who weren't in the, in the know, you know. Anyway, so so um, Andy brought me over to Bianca's table, and, and I sat down, and he said, Bianca, this is Wayne County. And she just... <laughs> For the radio listeners, she gets up and she walks away. <laughs> got up without saying a word. Without a word, she just got up and walked away. <laughs> and I was like, how rude. And I went to Andy, how rude. I guess her mama didn't teach you any better. <laughs> you know, you just don't act like that. You know, but I was like shocked. So you freaked out Bianca. <laughs> I was shocked I freaked poor Bianca out. Yeah. <laughs> I wrecked her. I'm glad I wrecked her. <laughs> I'm kind of curious during this time, like when while you're DJing at, at, at Max's and like you were, you said you just said you were kind of looking for opportunities during that time where you sort of had this ambition to be a, a rock star. Like, how, did, did that was that driving you through through the scene or did that emerge while you were hanging out in the scene? Well, I, I from from early days, yeah, I did have fantasies about being uh, in, in, a, in a rock and roll band. Uh, I have fantasies of being in a band kind of like similar to the Yardbirds. Mm -hmm. I was really into the Yardbirds. And I liked all those psychedelic weird sounds like the, the band made and everything. I said, yeah, I could really be into that, you know. So, uh, yeah, that's, that, that I, I, I love them and everything. And that, so that's kind of like, was in the back of my head, I could be in, in, in a band. But some of the plays I was in, like for instance, Sim Fatale, Jackie was singing singing songs in it. And, and, and I looked at what she was doing. I said, well, that's, I could do that. You know, Jackie influenced me big time. Uh -huh. Jackie Curtis did. Influenced me big time. And so um, she sang a song in, in Sim Fatale called Kissed, Kissing Asses for the Man I Love. And... Uh, which was quite funny and she used these two boys the wind the wind the wind ramp brothers that's hard to say she used them as her band and uh, just two guitar players and so when the play was over um i asked him i said i would like to do some songs i have some ideas for some songs would you like to maybe come along and we'll do them and see what happens and they said yes so that's how i formed that queen elizabeth was was um uh using the band that Jackie, using the, the guitar player that Jackie had used in Femme Fatale. They were, they were my band, Queen Elizabeth. 
So that's not another example of how you meet people, uh -huh. how you just get in, get involved with people, you know, and, and and then all of a sudden you started to everything started to get creative, and all of a sudden you're making music or art. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Queen Elizabeth and Backstreet Boys and the Electric Chairs, the uh, the other okay. bands that you had. But I do want to, before we get too far uh, ahead of ourselves, we're, in 1969 is um, the Stonewall riots, and you were oh, there yeah. the night of Stonewall. And I want to have you talk a little bit about that because, I mean, there's no way we could have you on the show and not have yeah. you talk about what happened that night. Yeah. Well, I was on my way to, to Stonewall. By the time I got there, they had already, um, people were just infuriated, of course, and upset. And uh, it was it, the whole Sheridan Square, people were congregating around the whole area. And they had locked the doors. The police had locked the doors and they were, they were uh, searching, uh, searching people, uh, doing sex searches. If you didn't look like you were either male or female, or if you looked like you could be either male or female, they back then they had something called a sex search. They take a woman female officer and she would take you into the bathroom and you would have to expose your genitals to her to, so that she could write down that you were really a guy, stuff like that. And so people had got really upset about that. And um, I remember being there with Jim Ferret. Jim Ferret was, um, I don't, by the way, I don't get along with him now anyway. Nobody does. <laughs> uh, and um, so uh, we were just marching up and down the street of Christopher Street, uh, marching back and forth, back and forth, because once you, you didn't have any place to go once you marched down it to, to Greenwich Avenue. So we'd march down to Greenwich Avenue and we didn't march back up to Sheridan Square, back and forth, just screaming gay power, gay power, with a fist in the air, gay power, gay power. Um, and at one point, we sang to the policemen, we are the Pixie Girls. We wear our hair in curls. We never play with toys. We play with boys. <laughs> and uh, we, were, we were kind of like teasing the policemen, the cops. I remember seeing, uh, being at the top of, of Christopher Street uh, in Sheridan Square. And I remember looking all the way down Christopher Street to the other end and seeing all the squad cars and everything, and the police out in right gear and thinking it was so funny, you know. There was more groups of people standing around of Children's Square doing nothing but just watching and looking. And there was all these gay people. There's more gay people just standing around looking when they weren't doing anything. The, the, the people that were that were marching and everything were screaming and carrying on was a smaller, smaller group of people. Now, I don't know that about who. I, I have no idea who threw the first rock, who threw the first stone, any of that. I have no idea. Did you have any idea at the time, you know, that it, this was the milestone event it would become? Did it feel like you were living in a historic moment? Well, it kind of did, but I, I didn't know of, of what import, importance it would be because there had been other kind of smaller riots happening around the city. You know, people were just kind of, it was in the air. You had the women's house of detention. You had uh, the Vietnam um, marches. You had women's rights marches. And gay people were wondering when their time was going to come. So uh, it, it finally happened. It finally just exploded because everyone else was getting their rights. Everyone else was marching and, and, and complaining about the, the horrible situation. So why, why aren't gay people doing that? So that's why that happened. People just got set up, really, really set up. 
I also think some of our younger listeners wouldn't know that at the time it was illegal to dress in drag or for men to dress in women's clothing, right? Yes, it was it was illegal. Oh, you could be arrested for it. Then getting back to Atlanta, Atlanta, they probably have it still in the books. It's probably waiting to enforce it again. Um, in Atlanta, they have a a law which uh, says if 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 you're a man and your hair touches the tip of your ear, you can be arrested for female impersonation. It was yeah, they could arrest you if your hair was. You know, yeah, yeah, that was that was terrible. That's how they arrested a lot of the queens back in the day. Uh, the queens that had longer hair, they had let the hair grow out and get a little bushy, bushy, you know. And and so if it was touching the tip of the ear, the police could drag you in for female impersonation. Yeah. Because there was so much rioting and uh, protests and everything in the air that you probably didn't notice at the time just how important it was because it just seemed like another protest another night. Yeah, I've been in all those demonstrations. I went to that women's march, uh, that big one they had, and I w- I'd gone to some anti-Vietnam marches and, and BNs and things like that. Yeah, and so it was kind of like um, uh, something else. It was kind of like, okay, it's gay people's time now. It's, it's, it's the Stonewall's time now you know, to do that. So it was kind of expected. I mean, I kind of expected it, you know. Um, I want to go now to England to the UK when you're performing around and what is the band? Are you with, are you with Queen or electric chairs then? Uh, electric chairs. When I got to England, it was the electric, it was the electric chairs. And yeah, we played uh, all over England. We toured uh, all of uh, Europe. Uh, I toured, the police toured with me. The police were my opening band. <laughs> Can you believe that? You were in a van with, with the police. It was a broken down ban- van. You and the police in the electric chairs, and you're it's you're traveling around France. Fighting with my guitar player, Greg. I tried to kick him out of the moving van on the expressway. <laughs> and poor poor police are just kind of back there reading their books, being like scared to death of us, you know. I mean sting at it like he they were scared to death of us. They were kind of scared of Peter, my manager, who wore a leather jacket and had a ducktail haircut and everything. They were kind of afraid of him. So, yeah, I toured all over Europe with the police, and they opened up, and they were just so... It was like touring with a group of librarians. They were so well-behaved and so nice and well-mannered and everything. And we were like, give us a drink, ah, you know, like that. And so we toured all of Holland, all of the, the, the Netherlands with the police. They opened for us. And you were saying that, that Sting was, like, very overly polite and very sort of boring, but that he very. did sort of... There was a little flirtation. He was sort of exposed himself to you sometimes in the dressing room. I kind of got the idea that he was purposely doing that too, <laughs> to get me crazy. You know, he could turn a certain way while he was taking his pants off, of, putting his pants on. He would turn a certain way, and I'd be at the mirror going like this. <laughs> you know, <laughs> putting on makeup and washing, trying my eyes would wonder over to But uh, I have to say, they were very nice to me, and Sting was very nice to me. And he even mentions me sometimes today. He's, he was very sweet and uh, uh, adorable. He was. He was. Even if he was scared of me. You also toured with Adam and the Ants before they were famous. We did some gigs with Adam and the, Adam and the Ants. But I, don't, I knew Adam from when I did Jubilee, the movie Jubilee. I love that movie. Oh, my gosh. Who did that movie? Derek Jarman, was it? Or Derek? Yeah, Derek Jarman. Yeah, yeah. Derek Jarman's Jubilee. 
very punk rock, very famous punk rock movie. And I met Susan Evangelist before that at the Roxy. Uh, I used to play the Roxy all the time. It was the punk, punk rock place to play in London. And I, I met Susie there. And Susie, when I began to transition and, and wear makeup out in public as a woman um, and dressing more feminine, less punky, but a little more feminine, Susie was a big supporter. She, she drug me into the bathroom one night and stuck me in front of the mirror and started showing me how, to, how she did her makeup and stuff like that. She was a big supporter. She was very nice to me. Some people on the scene were very nice to me. Some of them were really nasty. Like polished Irene was really nasty to me because uh, she was very religious and she didn't like me. Yeah. Someone who started off nasty to you, but then you became friends was Johnny Rotten. And he would, yeah. he would be sort of nasty to you, but then you grabbed him by the dick one time. What was that story? Well, he, uh, he, 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 he had heard about me. He had, he had said in London, he had read about Wayne County and somebody had interviewed him and said that Wayne County would be the only woman he would ever marry. And he was just being funny though. But when I did meet him, he grabbed my chest and said, oh, my chest is bigger than that. And so I grabbed his cock and said, yes, and my cock's bigger than that. <laughs> so we were friends after that. And he was being attacked one time by a group of boys and you helped, by roughnecks and you helped fight them off. Yeah, well, he was attacked. They were, they were saying things like they were going to beat him up. They was being really nasty. He was getting the vibe. He was about to be attacked, you know. And, and I was like, uh, oh, they're not going to hurt you. You know, I was standing around, standing kind of in front of them. They're not going to bother you. Just just ignore them kind of, you know. But he came over to me. And he was like, I'm going to be attacked. These guys over there are going to beat me up. And he was as if to say, well, what am I going to do? <laughs> Go get beat up too? I don't know. <laughs> uh as you're touring around, you're in Manchester, and every night there's some teenagers who come hang out with you backstage. Who are those teenagers? Oh, no, no, in uh, Liverpool. In Liverpool, right, okay. In Liverpool, there's a bunch of teenagers, yeah. Uh, Pete Burns was a big fan, and he, he hung out, and he sat on the front row, and he just was like that. So he was there. Every time I played Liverpool, Pete Burns came to see me. And and Holly Johnson too. Holly was there. And Holly Johnson too. Yeah, all of all of those. Uh, what was the band they were in? Um, uh, Frankie goes to Hollywood. Frankie goes to Hollywood. Yes, yeah. my memory is going. And so they were all just teenagers. They must have just been kids. They were kids. They were little kids. <laughs> yeah, and uh, they were they were they were they were they had their eyes open to say, you know, coming to see me. They their eyes were opened. You know, uh, I don't think they really could believe what I was really doing at the time, you know, particularly because when I did that song, you don't want to fuck me, baby, fuck off. If you don't want to fuck me, baby, 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 fuck off. I think freaked out because they couldn't believe just not because it was had fuck in it, but because they could not believe that I was actually singing a song like that. Actually, I had the nerve to actually sing. If you take Pete Burns and Frankie Goes to Hollywood and Adam and the Ants, I mean, that's like a sort of Susie and the Banshees. I mean, you must have had a sort of, you're like the um, the obelisk in 2001 that like causes culture to leap forward when it comes into contact with, with mankind. You know, I think, I, I'm sure in the UK you had that, like, because yeah. no one had seen mm -hmm. anything like <laughs> it before, right? I mean, I think they were just like, oh. <sighs> The possibilities just opened up when you came on stage. 
Yeah, yeah, it, it, it did. They'd never seen anything like it before. And when I played the Roxy, there were lines around the block, and they said they had never had that reaction before. And I'd been on the cover of Melody Maker and everything. And uh, so, uh, yeah, they were, they were, they had never seen anything like that before, or any of that people singing anything with that kind of lyrical content. If you know what me for call, every word wasn't, every every song wasn't like that, but. but a lot of them were like, you make me cream in my jeans and, and um, I like toilet love. You like toilet love. We both like toilet love. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah of course, toilet love. Dressed in my toilet outfit made out of shopping bags and uh, empty milk cartons and empty garbage, really. I just taped garbage together into an outfit and wore it. You know, that, 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 that's how I made that. And sometimes fans <laughs> would take the garbage dresses and they would take them and I have to make new ones all the time. I was always telling people, don't throw away your garbage. Please don't throw away your garbage. I need it to make my next new outfit. <laughs> uh, I remember you were a little disappointed because uh, the New York Dolls beat the, the, that famous album cover where they're all in wigs and makeup and everything like that. And they beat you to mm -hmm. the, the, the album cover. They beat me performing two weeks. Um, we were set to go. We were rehearsing and we were about to, to do some gigs. Uh, but the New York Dolls came out about two weeks before I, I, I set foot on stage with my band. You know, uh, the New York Dolls played Mercer Arts Center, and I went there for their first some of their first gigs. And the, their uh, some of the songs used to they, they were very it was very early days, and some of the songs were weren't even well rehearsed yet. They were still kind of rehearsing their songs. Sometimes they'd fall apart in the middle, or they'd lose where they were with the song, and they'd be kind of looking at each other. Where are we? I don't know. <laughs> They were obviously influenced by you. I mean, with the with the makeup and everything, right? I mean, I, I think I think a lot of the people in New York on the scene were were because uh, I didn't try to hide anything. I mean, I, I wore the makeup full face makeup, you know, and I just didn't dabble around wear a little cheap makeup, a, little, a few lips. I, I did the whole face makeup thing. You know, I think a lot of people took took that influence. Yeah. I mean, like Fenton was saying, you had this incredible cultural impact. Was it frustrating at times for, for you that, that uh, um, you know, people would beat you to the punch or, or you know what I mean? Or, yes. People would beat me to the punch or they would take something uh, that I had done and change it around a little bit and beat me to the punch with it. Uh, uh, and I'd go, that's familiar you know that's kind of like what i was i wanted i was doing it was going i was headed to um yeah so so yeah that happened to me a lot of people beating me to the punch or or just uh using my influence or my demos you know you have to be careful with your demos because if you send your demo to someone they could just copy everything on your demos and use them to write their own songs with it's, which is what happened well i don't want to get on this but that's what happened with david uh, or, I mean, with Bowie, uh, I sent him three sets of demos, and he with the promise of maybe him producing me at me an album. And the demos, he never produced an album, but the, a lot of the demos, ideas on the demos, ended up on some of, some of his albums. So that was very frustrating. And they had you on retainer, and they just paid you in drips yeah. and drabs, but then they never came out with the album, right? And it was great. No, they never came out with that. It's always an excuse. Uh, we were set up. Then, then we decided. They decided they were going to let Mick Runson produce me. 
So I did Wayne at the truck, this, this show, this outrageous show called Wayne at the truck. And we were going to fly after the show. We were going to fly right to London. And we were going to be produced in Trident Studios with Mick Ronson producing us. Well, the after the show, Tony Zanetta came backstage and had to tell us that it was all off, all canceled. And and no, and with no excuse why it was all canceled. It just They'd want to make a, we'd go to make an album or they'd do something and it, all of a sudden it'd just get canceled. So it was almost as if somebody did not want me to record. I don't want to. Wow, that must have been pretty devastating. It was devastating. I felt like cut open. I felt empty inside. I felt like somebody had cut me open and just take, took my insides and just spilt them. Especially as they're making a lot of money and you are not making a lot of money. You're, you're still hard scrabble existence, kind of. Uh-huh. And uh, but but Main Man, I I I think that years later I realized that Main Man, I think Main Man just kind of snatched me up to keep me from recording to keep me under wraps, you know, uh, because um, David wanted to be king of all the freaks. He did not want any kind of competition. So when Melody Maker put me on the cover, he freaked out. He flipped out and called called up. Uh, um, Tony DeFreeze and was yelling about Wayne's on the cover of Melody Maker. What's that all about? Why is Wayne on the cover of Melody Maker? Blah, 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 blah. He, he didn't like it at all. He was really upset. But I don't like to get into that uh, with the, the boy thing too much. Before we move on again, um, someone, the kiss opened for you at a, at a loft party. Well, it was a loft party. It was a party for kiss. And they wanted uh, a band that they knew was going to draw some people. They wanted a local band, so they, they Kiss actually hired Wayne County um, as, as as one of the bands to play uh, at their loft party, and so um, I played at Kiss Kiss's loft party, and uh, I went on and and did all all I did my whole thing. I did I had shaving cream, and I would uh, I had shaving cream that I, some of them would come on stage, and I would shave, put shaving cream all over them, or was it whipped cream? Must have been whipped cream because I remember eating it. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember if it was shaving cream. I think it was shaving cream, but I didn't eat it anyway. Something like that, and uh, did all these outrageous things. And uh, uh, yeah, Kiss hired me for that party. They wanted to to um, have an audience, you know, and they did very well. Yes, they did. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, going now quickly to Germany and Rami Hogg. Uh, you were very good friends with and worked with her, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, with Romy Hogg, yeah. Uh, I lived in Berlin for like that, almost two years, year and a half, two years. Uh, West Berlin, when the, the wall was up, those were very interesting days. Uh, and uh, Romy Hogg was just queen of Berlin, you know. she's Everyone loved Romy Hogg. She was the queen of Berlin. And she's very beautiful, Romy Hogg. So I became friends with her there, and we did a play together called Sheila, where uh, I played. Uh, we did this play together, and she was she played uh, a next door neighbor, a pretty uh, Hollywood starlet, a next door neighbor, and I played a dream a dream sequence, singing boys with a condom dress on. I'm still doing, still having to dry, dry, drag out the condom dress. It was directed by Tony and Gracia, who also directed Wayne at the truck. So I guess he figured he wanted to get some more run out of that condom dress. <laughs> he got me back in that condom dress and singing boys. I've been told when a boy kissed a girl, 
take the trip around the world. Hey, hey, that one that the Beatles recorded. It was originally done by the Shirelles. Nico, there's some funny stories in your book about Nico, where every time you would run into her, what would she say? Do you have any heroin? That is so good. That is so good. <laughs> <laughs> and she'd call you up at night and you'd be like, who is you'd say who is and you'd hear, Do you have any heroin? Do you have any heroin? <laughs> I thought she knew how to say was she beautiful was she still beautiful then? Was she performing? Was was she, she was a, sort of a sensation, right? She was still really pretty, yeah. Yeah, she was still really pretty. She was, she was. She got a little fuzzy. She looked good. She always looked. She has a great face. Your autobiography, Man Enough to Be a Woman, has been re-released on Amazon UK. Talk a little bit about the process of writing it and how uh, just all the how you remembered all the stories and how it all came to to be because it's a hell of a life. I just sat down with Rupert Smith, who who wrote it with me, and just talked to him. I just talked like I'm talking mm-hmm. to you. I just talked to him and told him all the stories and he wrote it all down, typed it out and everything and put it in book form and sent it around, you know, and uh, that's how it got done. I just talked it. I didn't sit down and just write it. You know, I just talked it because we wanted it to sound like I was talking, you know. It's well done and it does sound exactly like we're talking to you right now. It's it's very conversational. Um, Nowadays, you spend a lot of your time uh, you, you live in Atlanta, but you're an artist and you've been doing a lot of paintings and there's some been some gallery shows. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been doing my, my art has really taken off. I can't when I first came to New York City, I was an artist. Actually, I was doing art, kind of Egyptian influence type of art. Ancient art. I'm influenced by ancient art, like, you know, even cave paintings. I just ancient. all my stuff looks like a, either Etruscan or ancient Greek or Babylonian or something like that. I'm really into that. I'm really into Bastet. I had all these paintings of Bastet, which is Egyptian cat goddess, and she's got six dressed, and she's half cat and half woman. I've been doing lots of paintings of hers, and they've been selling pretty well. I've sold some, and actually some of them have gone for $7,000 and $11,000, which is, to me, is, you know, something something else god bless that is fantastic yeah i'm not selling them for fifty dollars or hundred dollars no way i wait until somebody wants to pay the right amount and i wait and, and then i that's the way i do it but also you should definitely put it on instagram because that's how people buy art now they like and they'll pay those prices that you were talking about like on Instagram. That's right. Well, I hope to get it on Instagram soon when Instagram reinstate me after throwing me off. <laughs> they throw me off because I said Trump should be hung. <laughs> and so I got kicked off. It's punk rock to the very end. <laughs> I have a record out, um, a record, listen to me. I have a song out, uh, I Don't Fit In Anywhere with uh, Am Taylor. And uh, we recorded it together. And my, I'm, I'm working on a project with Am Taylor. And we're doing it uh, for an EP and maybe even as much as a, an album. We're recording. We've got things in the studio and they sound great. But my the song, uh, I Don't Fit In Anywhere, it's done really well. It's on Spotify. It's on iTunes, everywhere. Yeah. It's done really well. Um, I want to tell a very quick story because I know I've told you this story before, um, uh, Jane, where uh, 
when I was a teenager, I didn't know mm-hmm. who you were. I didn't know anything, but there was an indie record store about two hours away when I was 16 and I drove to, and someone had mm-hmm. a copy of Wayne Co- the best of Wayne County, Jane County and the electric chairs. It was a yellow um, edition of the vinyl. It was like piss yellow. And I got it and I would listen to it and I would play toilet love. And if you don't want to fuck me, baby at the, loudest possible with the windows open and uh-huh. my mother would come in with tears streaming down her face saying no saying, jimmy think of the neighbors please jimmy <laughs> and i would be playing i like toilet love you like toilet love and my people used to have that ep in their in their, in their drawers and my mother would find it in their drawers. yes you know we've only gotten to the 70s right now and there's 80s 90s 2000s there's we have to have you back for a part two definitely we do we have to do a whole like uh what do they call it box set you know like a, a series <laughs> there is too much of you for one episode. Yeah, I know. There's a lot, a lot going on there. I'm, honey, I'm, 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 I'm proud of my age. I'm 77. A lot has happened to me in 77 years. It's not just the 77 years. It's like you have magically, presciently been at every place at the right moment in the right time. It's like you're, you're like a sort of a lot of places. That's right. Yeah. Or a catalyst. A, a flashpoint. You are a flashpoint for so much history. It's cold comfort. But I also think that true pioneers often don't get the riches and the rewards for changing for changing things the way That's they do. True. But but at the same time, would you have it any other way? Because you've changed everything. You you know, you are this pioneer and I'm proud of it. I'm a, that was a pioneer. Yeah, I think I was I was I was the covered wagon. That went across the uh, across America, <laughs> like a covered wagon, and all in it. You get the covered wagon is traveling, you know, and there's, there's arrows in the in the wagon, and people people trying to set fire to the wagon, and people people tearing the wheels off of it. I and I'm still that. just going on and on and on, and you're still going on and on and on. It, it just it mm. has been a real pleasure talking to you, and I I love you oh, so much. You. you are so. You're so important Thank to you. me and to so many other people. And just thanks for having me. I'm so honored to, that you would have me. Yeah. Yeah. And we love you so much, Jane. And thank you so much. I and love you too. We'll talk to you. We'll talk to you again. We'll talk to you very soon. All right. Love you. 